0: That their babies are and that never goes down well.
1: Welcome to Marketing Unfuck, the only podcast that helps you unfuck your marketing by hosting conversations with all the badasses in the industry. We are your hosts, Siobhan and Russell, and today we're joined by Jono Alderson, and we're going to talk all about Sightspeed. Let's do this. Thank you for being on the show, Jono. How do we unfuck marketing?
0: That's such a big question, isn't it? I think, God, where do you even start? I guess one of the things that annoys me most day to day is that people really need to stop having slow websites and slow apps and slow digital stuff in generally. But like the websites are a good starting place, I guess. And I figure there really isn't an excuse for it anymore. The incentives, the tools, the education, the resources exist to fix all of this to the degree that I think it's unforgivable. And really, there isn't any excuse or reason for people to be building or maintaining slow websites anymore, unless they really don't give a damn about their customers and their audience, which is also unforgivable, right? right, You just said so much, but it's unforgivable? Like, let's go there. (laughs) There There is more research than any of us have the time to go through that says that people hate waiting for things, that Slow experiences cause distraction and cost conversions, et cetera, et cetera. They burn, burn marketing budget. They directly correlate with bounce rate. Uh, there are a 10,000, uh, 10, a million reasons why slow things are worse than fast things. And it is so straightforward to make things not slow. If you invest in quality, if you educate, um, have a decent team of developers, if you pick the right tech stack, if you give a damn about maintaining your existing tech stack and improving it over time, the only reason you would have something slow is if you, you aren't committed to quality and improving over time, or you really don't care about your audience. And I think if we're looking, if we're all competing in a market which is an increasingly audience-centric, you have to be liked, you have to be preferred, you have to be remembered, there's only so much you can get away with delivering poor quality service and poor quality experiences before somebody else disrupts you. This is stuff you have to be caring about. And speed and quality are so closely intertwined. Many organizations don't invest in quality, they don't understand, they don't care, it's never a way they've had to think. Now they do, now the tools exist, they should be, and if they don't, then... They're ripe for disruption.
2: Are you seeing a trend like because I'm seeing this a lot is that people are instead of investing in getting their current situation better, they're investing in the new shiny thing. It used to be react now it's just generally an SPA. And they, they think they go in because the dev house has built one SPA in the past. Yeah, and they go it's faster than the way that the web works and therefore SBA is the way to solve this rather than another route. Are you seeing that? What's the trends you're seeing as well?
0: Yeah, this is really upsetting because... I, I don't think I've ever seen that done right. And I've seen a lot of them. Universally, what you end up with is something cumbersome and bloated that is a dead end that lives for a couple of years. And then you start again with the new shiny thing. Because by that time, your CTO has left in a cloud of shame. The new one's come and in and has something to prove. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And everyone's just shaking each other's hands under the table and building whatever. Yeah, it's nonsense. I think um, people, people radically underestimate how many things browsers just do right and how, how normal and standardized websites that you click on a link, the page loads, the title changes, the content is refreshed. If you're trying to do something clever with an SPA, you have to do all of that from scratch. And yeah, if you, if you are the top 1% of the top 1%, you can build something phenomenally fast and clever and sleek and future-proof and perfect and wonderful. But yeah, I've, I have literally never seen it done in the wild. So there are um, all these small businesses medium businesses, large businesses making the same mistake. They've got a CTO in, we've got a team of developers who wants to build something trendy and something fancy rather than doing it the old way. Yeah, and they create a monster and it's slow. So yeah, on one hand, you've got these businesses sat on these legacy nasty stacks, which are slow and cumbersome to change and they're not really incentivized to iterate on it. Or you've got the fast moving disruptive people who are just building nightmares and nobody's doing it right
1: but other than the next trendy thing what else is holding it back because there's a reason you're this upset about this right and you're saying that the majority of people aren't getting it right so it can't just be the trendy thing what else is holding us back
0: i think businesses are large businesses have never been motivated to care about or invest in quality the operating model has always been do as little as possible to get away with as much as possible and invest as little as possible to meet whatever criteria, achieve whatever thresholds, hit whatever targets. And that works when you've got brick and mortar high streets when all you really need to do is shout loud enough to get enough people into your door. It works to a degree with paid advertising and AdWords. If you spend enough money, more, you get more people in. We're gradually seeing, as I said, there's this shift towards a kind of audience-centric model where the only thing that really differentiates you from your competitors, of which there are an infinite number, is how much people really want to shop with you rather than the next people over. And suddenly that means you have to invert that whole model. You can't go, what is the least bad we can get away with being? You've got to go, we've got to compete on being great. We're going to make people want to like us. We've got to be memorable. We've got to build preference. And brands just aren't designed to do this. They don't like... Who in an organization, who in any organization is responsible for quality? It's like a broad horizontal thing that touches on everything. It's the same problem that we have with accessibility and SEO and content quality and all these other areas that we're increasingly struggling with. It's all the same problem. It's that these are reflections of horizontal quality and just organizations aren't designed to deal with that. So, um, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating.
2: Do you see that term very similar to growth? six years ago, where everyone was like, I need a growth team. And every business I went into, I would go, no, you just need to do things properly. You don't need a dedicated team. Just don't do things, poor quality, but never really said it like that. It was just don't do things shit, do things better. You don't need to, to form a growth team. And I I, I, I I agree with you. But I don't think people need a quality, like a chief quality officer. They just need to appreciate that doing a lot is not as good as doing things well. But I don't think that's changed. I just think that the market is getting smarter and consumers are getting smarter. And that's been driven by the, the Chinese market, Amazon, the big boys. are They've created a bar of expectation. And especially in e-coms, everyone competes with Amazon, give or take. So there is an expectation that's managed there from a quality perspective. And Amazon aren't great at a lot of things, but they've set a bar. And now if your website does not load quicker than Amazon, which loads very fast for someone who definitely has more content, definitely has more products, definitely has more issues than you. (laughs) Yes, they, they, they have a better tech stack, fair enough, but they've got way more issues to face in their tech stack. There shouldn't be an excuse for brands now.
0: No, and I think you're right with growth. I think that growth really was just about product market fit and being brave enough to invest in marketing strategies that that grew you, right? It's not radically different. I think, yeah, you're completely right. The expectations change and increase. I think there's two other interesting things which are happening. One is increasingly the entire top of the funnel, for want of a better phrase. I know that's an oversimplification, but the the research and preference building and list building phase of going through a considered purchase journey is increasingly algorithmically driven. Systems like Google, like Facebook, like Amazon will decide which three products we see. And they, as part of that, will decide which hundred products we don't see. So if you're the fourth best option, you can't even access your market. You can't spend more to shout louder. You can't put more adverts in front of their face. You don't have permission to reach that audience. So you start to look at some of these challenges of the quality gaps. And, okay, you don't offer free shipping. Your website loads, loads slowly, et cetera. Historically, you would have gone, okay, we'll make it a bit better. What's the least badly we can get away with doing? Now, if you're not great, you don't even access the market. And that, that gap closes and closes and closes and gets harder and harder. And again, businesses aren't set up to deal with this. The other but then interesting how do thing I see. It? Oh, go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. Um, so, <laughs> OK. Um, so I think, and this is why I'm interested in the speed angle, I think speed is part of the answer. So I'm sure everyone's familiar with like, Google's Core Web Vitals metrics, which are like a, a codified, now universal standard way of measuring how fast is this website thing. And they're, they're not perfect by any means, but they're getting smarter and they're evolving over time. But what happens when you look at those and take a step back a bit, I think, is that they become really good measures of this ephemeral quality concept. We're saying, how much has your organization invested in audience-centric, user-centric factors, experiential factors? Have you spent time and money making your website fast? Is your CTO up to date with the latest trends? Are you caring about accessibility? Are you... um, Sophisticated enough to understand that spending budget on shaving off milliseconds will increase conversion rate over here, et cetera, they become a really interesting proxy for quality. And I think that we've never had that before. We've never had a good way of quantifying this and putting it in terms that businesses understand. So now you can start to go, okay, you are the fifth best in the market. Nobody is reaching you because these algorithms have decided that you're crap. Look, here are some really good numbers that, yes, measure speed ostensibly, but actually are a reflection of the IT, organizational, political, strategic challenges that your organization has. Businesses who score slowly on those metrics have bad leadership, have bad tech stacks, have bad marketing strategies, have bad budgeting, all these other factors. They're never just... They're never just about speed. They're always symptomatic of these kind of organizational quality issues. So I'm looking at this a lot, and it, it seems to ring true across all different types and scales of businesses.
1: Then you wonder, though, don't you? Because Core Web Vitals, it really is in your face, right? Everyone can check their site. Everyone can check each other's sites. Everyone knows how everyone's performing. And then it's shocking to hear that no one is actually acting upon this, because this has been around now for a little bit. So people should be acting on it. So you're saying bad leadership, et cetera. But what else might be holding people back? Because no one is doing anything. There are very few people I know, even within my client base, when I tell them you need to get your site back up, they don't want to see the value. Something's holding them back. And I mean, I have my theories, but what are yours?
0: I think there's a large part of people don't know what they don't know. And there's a degree of shame that you've built this thing and you're proud of it. And I think one of the things I try, to remember, I try to remember quite often is having worked in agencies and around the industry a lot, I've seen a lot of websites and a lot of businesses making these same types of mistakes. However, inside these businesses, they've never done this before, or they've only done it a few times. They've not replatformed a hundred times. They haven't evaluated all these different tech stacks and options, and they think they're making good decisions. And they think that the Enterprise CMS that they bought for $100,000 a year is a great deal. And they think that the CTO they've hired in with some disruptive background to rebuild their, their landing page so is, is, knows what they're doing. And as soon as you start pointing at bits of this and you say, actually, look, you are fundamentally wrong, or you have missed entire categories of consideration, or the shiny, shiny thing that you're very proud of is fundamentally unsuited to being ever being used in the real world. There's a huge amount of shame associated with that. So you end up poking people's stuff. And obviously, they don't like that. It's the same problems we have with with SEO. It becomes inherently kind of combative. You've got to tell other people that their baby's ugly. And that never goes down well. And then coupled with that, you've got people who are, especially in established organizations with established stacks, people who are very comfortable. If you start saying, hey, you know what? We could, if we adopted Cloudflare and configured it in this certain way to speed up all your things, you could let 10 of your engineers go. And of course, that team of engineers who's been comfortably employed doing very little work for the last decade isn't necessarily going to be hugely on board with that. So you start disrupting and upsetting and shaming people, it doesn't go down particularly well. And even if you get buy-in at the very top levels, you just move where that pressure comes from. So yeah, people aren't really incentivized to be investing in goods, because that first requires them to acknowledge that either they don't know what they're doing or that the stuff that they've made is bad.
2: So other than core web vitals, which is obviously a decent performance indicator like what is a process that someone in marketing should start with like there is obviously called web vitals, but what other things could they be looking into and monitoring and making sure that they're on top of to at least start that conversation because it's not a my score is under 60 therefore I know exactly the things I need to do so what what does that process look like and what should people be looking into
0: So for the core of vital scoring stuff, there are links in all the reports that take you initially through to like, uh, here's what the problem is. But if you dig deeper, there are reams and reams of educational resources, which are quite literally the best on the web, that take you from here is how to put an image on a web page through to here is how to build an SPA properly. Nobody's reading them for all the same reasons that we've covered, but they exist. So let's assume that's a dead end. Um, I think there's a better direction, which is, and this is the SEO nerd in me, but I really like the fact that we have essentially, as about to say, Anne, several nearly omniscient AIs, which are really, really good at judging how good a web page is. And like, where does this rank in Google for this keyword? It's a really, really good proxy for how good is this? And it gets better over time. Obviously, that's laden with other considerations and other in influences. So i like to take a step back further from that. Go and read Google's quality rater guidelines and assess your business and your content and your website in line with them. Like... This is the best resource that we have on this planet for assessing neutrally. Is this thing good? Does this meet user expectations? Is it aligned to market demands? Does it communicate well? Is it presented nicely? Like, this is a phenomenal resource that's really underutilized. It's a lot of work and a lot of reading. And again, people aren't keen for all the same reasons that it's a huge amount of investment for businesses to go from. Can we get away with tweaking our page titles to actually let's do a big existential review of, are we any good at these things? It's a huge gap and it's a huge investment and it requires some bravery. But these resources exist. Like all of these are solved problems. The tech side is trivial. It's not trivial, it's trivial if you know what you're doing. The tech side is solved, if you, and you can go and educate and go through all of that. The, the quality side is solved. You can go and evaluate your pages in a repeatable way. You can do it versus your competitors. You can benchmark it. All of these resources exist. The only thing preventing people from solving this is being brave enough to do it. And, and the commercial challenges of that, right? If you've sat on a legacy say, tech and stack. And
2: internal, internal yeah. stuff as well, because basically, we're talking about the difference between a marketing team and a technology team, and in a lot of companies, like if you take a travel company, for example, the majority of their tech stack is nothing to do with marketing. It's probably the booking engine and the external infrastructure that allows them to load hotels, load flights, all of that stuff. That's 90% of their issues, is that? And then there is the front end of a website, which is 10% of their issues and 10%, probably up to 30% of their budget is marketing things. They don't care about what CMS they're sitting on, they're more concerned about the booking order system, and and all of that technology. So that is probably the, the one of the major challenges is they just don't care.
0: Yeah. And then two things happen, right? One, yeah, God, shoot me anybody anytime anybody says marketing website because it displays such a fundamental lack of understanding. That's the growth problem, right? Like all of these assets are your front of house, but never mind. Yeah, it's, it's not their core consideration. And so um, the poor little marketing team who are under-resourced and under-budgeted and get the last pick of the, the crop for tech resource and strategic investment have to sit and wait until one of their competitors leapfrogs them. And then it's too late, because it takes a year to then react to that and say, okay, we're going to have to spin up budget, we're going to have to restructure teams, we're going to have to hire, we're going to have to re-strategize, et cetera, by which time that competitor is now getting further and further ahead, and you've lost, and you're gone, and you're dead. And like, I think the days of being able to wait and then react for this kind of stuff when the impact is so monumental, especially with quality and performance, right? You're talking double digit increases in conversion rate, in revenue, et cetera. Yeah, you can't, you can't sit and wait on, on, until you're, you've already lost. That's scary. I think thinking of booking engines and flights and stuff, have you been to booking.com recently? That's not right, their website. Uh, That's a really good example of exactly what you're saying. So I have a business account and a personal account. If I go to booking.com, it loops me through something like 16 different redirects and loads 130 megabytes of JavaScript over like 300 requests to get me to my you are in your business login page. And then you've got to click about five times to go find my personal page. The whole thing really does the same again. Now, yeah, it's because all of these people are looking in the wrong place. But my God, it makes me hate using it. It's just slow beyond anything. It's fascinating.
2: Their, their app on your phone is really good, by the way. So I, I, just, yeah. I don't worry about website for
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I only use the app as well. And I don't have a business yeah. <laughs> and personal account. I just use my personal account. I've given up on business accounts. Yeah. Because Amazon does the same. You have to jump through hoops every time you want to switch around. It is really hard to use, so I just don't use it. But this is the other question, right? We keep on mentioning tech is a huge part of it, and it is. But isn't there so much more that's getting your score in Google uh, with Google? It's content, it's quality. And so there's so much more to that game, right, to scoring correctly nowadays. It's not just site speed. So how much of it is site speed and how much of it is the quality of the content?
0: I think directly site speed is trivial if you score highly on all the metrics you get some kind of barely measurable impact that's great but it's all of the peripheral stuff that happens around that it's the fact that it is so closely tied to strategy and quality and investment and like the the sites that are scoring slowly the process that they have to go through in order to score well requires that they evaluate their tech stack, that they consider their strategy, that they fire some leadership, that they double the size of their tech team, that they stop loading clunky JavaScript on their pages, that they adhere to privacy requirements and they stop loading Google Fonts cross-domains in a way that breaks various EU directives, and a hundred other things. So yes, speed's, speed's almost irrelevant, but the process of sorting your speed out makes you into the kind of organization that deserves to rank, aside from all the content positioning challenge, but it's hard for for those to go uncoupled. So yeah.
1: Who is a good example, or or can you give us some good examples of who's doing it right, of who's doing it right from an organizational perspective, or how they're approaching it, or even whose website is doing it right?
0: There are very few. I did a whole bunch of research last year to try and find people who are doing well, and I found a lot of people who are doing badly. There were some really fascinating ones like, Nvidia? Yeah, NVIDIA, who are like leading the global revolution on next generation AI and machine learning, et cetera, like one of the slowest websites i found. Vodafone, the, by far and away the slowest, took about 15 seconds to load on most devices, despite them having done a collaboration with Google to publish a bit of research on how improving site speed, improved conversion rates and metrics is still falling off the charts. So there are very few good ones. The few I did find, Disney. PayPal, Netflix, and Deliveroo. And that kind of makes sense, right? They're the kinds of brands you would expect to be investing in this because you can really imagine how milliseconds of friction in their processes are going like, to directly correlate with the bottom line. But I think
2: uh, it's a- Disney had a new CTO as well.
0: <laughs> nice. And a ton of well, those Disney is good.
2: Plus, Disney Plus was a huge investment for them, obviously. And we saw a massive technical change in how Disney does everything. And yeah. that's across the entire sort of ecosystem at disney
0: that's pretty cool but i think the trap there is it becomes very easy to think that speed is only really important for those kind of thing as a service models where you're going in you're interacting with it it's very transactional it's very media consumptive same applies if i'm trying to find a plumber to repair my boiler or i'm deciding what crisps i'm going to have for lunch like this is subconscious and i think that's the bit people forget is it's not about me thinking, oh, that extra 100 milliseconds was really irritating. It's about me looking out the window or opening a new tab or wondering what's for lunch. And that erosion of attention creates room for me to consider alternatives, to get buyer's remorse, to start to debate other alternatives, et cetera. And shaving off those milliseconds closes that gap. Um, And that's a universal thing. And it's not just whether I'm ordering takeaway or watching TV. It's every decision I make.
1: Yeah, and there's a, there are a bunch of stats on that, aren't there, out there. Although I tend to question them because personally, if I go to a website, once I'm on it, the extra half a second, a second probably won't affect me. So this is sometimes from a consumer perspective. Do you think it's actually as needed or is it mostly needed because you need a rank?
0: Oh, definitely, as a consumer thing. I think once you're on that website, you've already gone through ten steps of different processes that you might not have even clocked. You've probably not gone directly to one website. You've probably done four searches over three days in twelve different tabs, and the totality of that experience has influenced you in a whole bunch of ways that you might never even consciously realise. Mm. Um, especially if these are the kinds of sites that you might visit multiple periods, multiple times over multiple periods. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's ever as overt as I am annoyed that this is slow. Like if it gets sometimes that is the case when stuff is really bad, like trying to go to com, But yeah, a lot of the time, this is um, just kind of that erosion of attention and creeping in room for you to start to have doubts or to consider others.
2: And in e-commerce, we see this quite a lot that loading a product page can mean mm. a bounce. Like yeah. you, there is a huge correlation between site speed and exit rate on certain categories of pages. And like, you see this quite often with like huge product images that people haven't optimized. Do you see other examples of that? In other categories, or does it, like I just see it in e commerce all the time?
0: Yep, and um, images in particular are criminal. The, the, the images I'm fascinated by, it's a deceptively hard thing to get right. I did an entire 60 minute talk last year about how to put an image on a web page. Because like the, the I, could, the I most... could
2: send you the code for that if you want, buddy. It's
0: just a... <laughs> you, you think you could. Uh, you think you could. I had 120-something slides starting with like img src equals cat.jpg and expanded it and expanded it for um even even at the end of that expansion, the scenarios were still quite simple. It's just like There are many people from multiple places in this planet accessing this in many different devices, with many network conditions, with many browsers, with many different types of support. And if I can rotate my phone, and if it should, yada, yada, yada. This stuff is hard to get right if you don't know what you're doing. And images are universally bad and wrong. Every single site, everywhere. To a point of seeing other examples, yeah, there's... There's loads of slightly spurious research that comes out all over the place about sites that were bad and are now good and double their conversion rate. I tend to dismiss those a bit. There was one really nice one in 2020, though, from Deloitte. And they said um, they ran uh, 120 sites, I think. They made a a measured change, they um, increased. Overall load speed decreased, increased by 0.1 seconds, and it drove a 10% uplift in retail spend across a dozen categories. And then they repeated it and did it in B2B as well, and it was 7%. So in theory, they'd normalized it quite well. It wasn't as big a sample as you would have liked. But yeah, and this was, again, things like image sizes loading, JavaScript lazy loading, et cetera.
2: That that makes sense to me as an increase in basket value is effectively what that's saying, because you are able to load more pages, and therefore the likelihood of you adding more items to your basket becomes higher. And therefore, that correlates for me, the increasing conversion rate stuff that companies like <coughs> Google keep on pulling out there, <laughs> yeah. where it's like, oh, it increases your conversion rate by 20%. You're like, what device are you showing? Is this a ZX
0: Spectrum? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and how much of that is actually just reduced form abandonment, which is a very kind of separate subset of that. And certainly not related to how fast does this load overall. But yeah, that reduction in friction as you browse is definitely a thing.
1: Exactly. But then let's go back to like, how do we address this issue, right? Because now it's pretty clear that there's a problem. And then you're saying that shame and laziness and leadership are holding things back. Uh, And then you were also mentioning that Marketing needs to, because it is usually considered a marketing asset, the website and tech need to almost communicate a little bit and get out of their silos to to figure this out together. So what are some successful ways of actually going through that process and try to resolve the issues?
0: Um, I guess the utopian vision is you refactor and restructure your organization to be holocratic and have nice groups of squads and blah, yada yada. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. yeah, we know. <laughs> I mean that's been the solution to everything. Forever, stop hasn't giving it? stop
2: giving me the I'm in the front of it. a conference <laughs> and give an answer that's generic. Yeah, give me I, an actual I, fucking answer, John.
0: I was, I was getting that out of the way. Um no, I think yeah. the answer is um to and again this is the SEO nerd in me, but I think this is I think this might be the right answer, is to leverage SEO. I think. All, all of this has been the all all of this dysfunction we're describing has been the case for twenty years. Sites have been slow. Sites have been bad. Organizations have not invested in quality. The web is shit. That that's that's been stable and staple. It's only since Google started pushing really hard on core web vitals, and we had official metrics and official processes and a ranking benefit, that organizations really started to say, oh, go on then, we will start to address some of our longstanding core failings. And in the last couple of years, I don't know if you've seen this, the... um, The crux data set that all the Core Web Vitals metrics go into, there's a web page somewhere in Google's documentation where they update the percentage of origins that have good scores. And they're like, this month, 44 million websites were good. That number's going up. And it's going up more and faster than it ever has before because there's now an incentive and there's a modeling and there's a measurement framework. So making this an SEO problem starts to get people moving. However... This is only early days. I think so. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening. But wait, let me invitals. interrupt you for a
1: second because oh, sure. SEO, most people will think is keywords and backlinking. So you're talking about technical SEO. Just let's uh, you know, just to get that well, all together. Well, at this
0: stage, yes. Oh, okay. So, But this is the change. So, the Core Web Vitals ecosystem is evolving. And at the moment, it's only like how quickly did your page load? But they're already adding new metrics for things like how smoothly does it interact as you scroll, which is still very technical. But this sits alongside some other metrics and analysis they're doing about are you meeting accessibility criteria? And are you ticking various kind of general best practice security boxes? It's not unreasonable to expect that. Start, they start to go down the line of, is your content readability good? Are you supporting multiple languages and being aware of, uh, yeah. uh, is your page discriminatory to people who are neuroatypical? And, and these sorts of things are sometimes tricky to quantify, but they're starting to get there and they're starting to add them in. And what these metrics start to become is a truly a representation of, do you give a shit about your audience? Are you audience centric? Are you building a website that's designed to truly help and support people? Or is it just some kind of marketing function that lives over there as a a pamphlet on the internet? And as they reward and incentivize those scores more, and they make them more sophisticated, the gap between bad and good will widen. So I'm hoping hoping that people's greed to rank better in Google, even if they don't necessarily understand the nuance of that, and even if they do just think it's about keywords and ticking these scores, will drive the right kinds of behaviors. Because we've codified it, it's got a nice big Google logo on it, and stakeholders can quite easily build a narrative of of red score, bad, green score, good, green score, money and then that will force the change in the background. I mean, we're already seeing some of this, Be nice to see more, but given that this is the only thing that's ever moved the needle, hopefully um, it will continue to do so. Mm -hmm.
2: Staying on this topic, but just kind of splitting it in one way. The amount of businesses that I speak to where desktop is where they think of everything, yet their customers are 60% mobile. Speed is more prevalent on mobile, and people don't deal with it well. So, can I focus your answer to the everything we've spoken about and get into mobile and optimizing for what is mobile and how what factors are different, what the what's the concerns? Because it's very easy to talk about a desktop website loading, but actually there are many other ways that and concerns that a business would have. Where they should be mobile first. It's 2022, year of the mobile was six <laughs> consecutive years, eight
0: yeah, before years before we ago. were born.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's now decade of the video or whatever <laughs> they're going to call it. Yeah. Um, but like, what, what should businesses be thinking about from a mobile perspective? Because they should. That should be their first port of call, in my opinion.
0: I, I'm going to disagree strongly. I think that um, the separation of desktop and mobile is part of what's caused this disparate thinking and the problem, because you're now saying that I need two websites and twice the budget, um, which no, is scary. I'm talking
2: you're about usability more than yeah, anything. Yeah,
0: but, but, but that's, how, that's how businesses perceive it, right? Oh, we built this desktop thing, turns out now we need a mobile thing. I think we're way past the point where we have two categories of devices, and that we need to be thinking device mm-hmm. agnostically. We need to go A user on a device in a place with some capabilities is going to put our URL into a browser. And that's not about do they get the mobile version and how does that work differently to the desktop? It's about this thing needs to load and react and behave in a way that's suitable for whatever it's consumed on, whether that's a toaster or a TV or, or whatever else it is. Um, and actually, that, that sounds abstract and futuristic, but that's a much easier way of building it than having discrete sets of logic for device conditions, et cetera. That said, hey, Just
2: on that, Jono, just so, on that, is that because 4G and 5G now exist and therefore the speed of download on a phone? is less of an issue because way back when the issue was actually if you only had 2g uh, or slower the speed on a mobile was never going to be what it was on a yeah and you'd really want like a light
0: version Mm -hmm. um so you can still do so that's I guess it depends to a degree who and where your audience are. But if you look, one of the interesting side effects of Core Web Vitals is it's analyzing real users all across the world on all types of devices. So you can't just go, oh, we only sell to rich middle-aged white people in London, therefore 5G it is, and let's not worry about the size of our images. You have to go. There's a whole bunch of people in China on old iPhone 3s are going to be reading our excellent blog because it's excellent and it really helpful their educational. You have to cater to them as well. Now, this is rewinding. This is one of the places where the SPA JavaScript first revolution actually has some real advantages over conventional websites because you can much more easily access and interact with your device's capabilities. There are APIs for things like what's the quality of the network connection? And is this hardware constrained? And how much RAM does this have? and all that sort of thing. And then you can go, you know what? This is quite an old mobile phone. Let's switch out the logic that's going to load our big hero video thing and just put a low-res image in place instead. You can do some of that. You can do a whole bunch of that quite happily, on conventional website, ecosystem infrastructure, images again. Hey, there's no reason why your big hero image at the top of your page can't have 30 different versions. And some of those will be designed to serve a high-resolution desktop device. My mobile phone, I think, has a higher dots per inch ratio than my laptop. So uh, yeah, pixel's not a pixel, but like this probably needs a larger image than my desktop screen in front of me. You can manage all that conditionality. It's more work to build it in, but you can make your website device agnostic in a way that solves all of this. Um, yeah, if you, you're going to do it right, you really want to be going down those shiny, shiny JavaScript boots. But again, no, nobody, nobody has ever done this. Nobody's done it well. There is no, no good SPA out there in the world. I don't think. I'd love to see a bold,
2: bold, bold statement. <laughs> uh, leave it in the comments, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get Jono back to go I'll through the apart. SBAs in the comments <laughs> and, and tear them apart. Yeah. Or they'll tear him apart, because it will just work. And oh, we'll have great. examples for future talks. So it's win-win for you.
0: Yep. <laughs> nice.
1: Oh, my, oh, my. Is your website built up to standard?
0: Mine, Yeah, mine's, um, I think, scoring about 99 across Core Web Vitals at the moment. I'm cheating a little bit because I'm using AMP, but at some point I might replace that and it'll be even faster still. But yeah, mine's um, one of the ones. In fact, I've got a standing offer open that if anybody can find anything objectively imperfect about my website, um, I'll buy them a beer. I know that there are four things that I'm aware of that I just haven't been bothered to get around to yet, but um, hopefully some people will find some different ones.
2: Awesome. We're going to finish it there. Thank you very much for joining us, Jono. Can you let the audience know where they can find you online?
0: Yeah, all all over the online. I'm on the Twitter, uh, at John Alderson, um, quite prolifically. Otherwise, put my name into Google. I'm at johnalderson.com. Or in a professional capacity, go find me at yoast.com or LinkedIn, or probably not on TikTok. I think I've missed TikTok, which I'm slightly nervous about. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yes. Inevitably, Um, when it takes over everything and is the only social (laughs) network left, I guess I'll have to be there.
2: And you've launched something recently at Yoast that you just wanted to to share with the audience as well.
0: Yeah, we did. I should I should pitch this because otherwise I get told off. Back in January-esque, we launched a Shopify app for Yoast, which is pretty cool. Having spent years with people saying, hey, we love Yoast on WordPress. Can we have it on a and certain other platform? We're now on Shopify. That's pretty awesome. We will be on other stuff in the future. But um, yeah, we're taking over the world and becoming the SEO framework of standards, de facto framework standard, that words words are hard we've used a lot of them you're,
2: you're on shopify and wordpress and but not spotify not spotify <laughs> which we um, all seem to think lo- lovely segment there <laughs> but we are on spotify which is Press. where you can find this uh, this episode <laughs> later probably next month actually and there's many other episodes already being posted online and you can find us on Substack and other places as well but uh, thank you very much again Jono and uh, like subscribe all of that stuff on youtube and we'll speak to everyone soon cheers
1: thank you Jono awesome thanks a lot